Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 27, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Who are you? I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. Oh, dear listeners, we have one of these episodes. We have been doing this, believe it or not, this is episode number 420. Oh, my oh. gosh. <laughs> Gee whiz. Boy, so mess many. <laughs> that, We've spent a lot of time together, y'all. We really have. <laughs> and when and you, I have no Willie Nelson references in my introduction oh for this 420. <laughs> so our dear Bert is a man of action, and he is in transition. And unfortunately, that's going to preclude his ability to be a regular on the podcast for at least the next year. We'll see what happens after that. But for at least the next year, he's going to be attending to some other endeavors. Bert, talk to us a minute about what's coming up for you. Yeah, I love that you use the term in transition because that's very much how my wife and I look at the coming year. We're empty nesters now, and both our kids have graduate degrees. And I've accepted an opportunity to, to do a chaplaincy residency at a hospital in Kentucky and and look forward to all of that. And at the end of the, in August of next year, at the end of a full year, I will have all the CPE credits behind me to be a fully credentialed chaplain in any kind of setting. And so we'll see where we go from here next year. But it really is a time of transition. It's exciting and it's also scary. Kudos to you for taking the leap. You're much younger than me, but still, it's nice to uh, to know that at whatever stage of life we're at, that adventures can still happen. It, yeah, it's an adventure. <laughs> Gandalf just showed up and knocked on my door. Yeah, be careful taking that step out your door. Right. <laughs> you never know where you might be swept off to. Yeah. So I have known Bert a long time. We actually were in seminary together for a while, back in the 80s, <laughs> and Bert and Jen C. actually attended the church where I was on staff for a time at Butchel Park in Louisville, and then I knew Bert in publishing because Bert was an up-and-coming author, and of course, he's now got multiple titles published under his name, but I was—did I do your first book, Bert? You did my first book, all right, all right. and then you were no longer with the company. So <laughs> that I was it. About that. <laughs> it has been a fun journey, and of course, I'll get to see Bert a lot because he'll be in Kentucky. So <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> that will be nice, but boy, will I miss these podcasting experiences. I'm going to hush for a minute mm -hmm. and let Nikki and Daniel say some things if they'd like. I will. The only thing I'll say one thing: Bert is the kindest person I know. Mm most generous, loving heart is a mile wide. Very well said. Very well said, Daniel. Bert, my first introduction to you was editing. I didn't edit anything, but putting your writing on the Faith Element podcast or Faith Lab, whatever there, that existed, <laughs> you would send it and I'd put it on there. And in that process, I learned that you are the ultimate connector that you know all of the good people. And if somebody needs something, all they need to do is call Bert and say, hey, who can do this? <laughs> mm -hmm. And Bert's going to know. <laughs> and Bert's going to send you the best person. But in addition to being a resource, 
Bert, you have become a true friend. I, I think that over the years of doing this with you, I have gained courage from you. And I have learned how to share who I am in the world on that social justice edge. I definitely feel like I have been mentored by you in that space and am eternally grateful. And I will agree with Daniel. You have the biggest heart of anybody that I know. And it is big enough to hold the whole world. And I am so glad that the people who are in need where you will be doing your residency will be privileged to that part of you. You will do good work and good ministry. And we just need to plan a regular video chat with the four of us. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. even if we don't podcast together, I need this. Yes. <laughs> and what goes on before and after the recording. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's it, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. That's church. We have church before and after. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, addendum to what I said before, and this is not just trying to connect to the passage that we're about to discuss. Bert knows who he is. And that's, that is a beautiful, dangerous, incredible thing. And that many of us are still learning. And I love him. And we have been blessed. And again, Bert's going to be back just here and there. He just won't be a regular for a while. And one of the things I think we've all enjoyed besides his big heart and his prophetic voice that leads us to include and to welcome everyone. I think his creativity is the other thing, creativity and humor and his encyclopedic knowledge of music and lyrics, <laughs> at least within a certain era, are, <laughs> they have blessed us all. And so today we're in for a treat because Bert, again, once we allow him to get himself back together, <laughs> is going to bring our intro today. And Bert, we, we appreciate you. We love you. And we look forward to watching the good things you'll do in the months ahead. Thank you. Thank you all very much. And I'll try not to cry. <laughs> all right. David already mentioned our time in seminary, and during my first semester of seminary, and there were many first semesters of seminary because it took <laughs> me three tries, but during my very first semester of seminary, way back in 1990, David, I didn't go back into the 80s, 1990, <laughs> a professor gave us an assignment. We were to write a reflective paper on our master image of Jesus. The professor wanted us to explore the primary image that each of us have of Jesus that shapes our theology, our actions, our calling, our ministerial identity, and so forth. I remember a young man who had a huge heart for pastoral ministry. He wrote about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Then there was an older, middle-aged, second-career kind of guy in, this, in the class, a career military man who wrote about Jesus as his commander-in-chief, a guy that seemed to maybe have come from an administrative or business degree in college, wrote about Jesus being a CEO. And then 
oh man, there was this long-haired weirdo with an oversimplified desire to relive all things related to 1960s hippie counterculture, and he wrote about Jesus being a radical anti-establishment social activist. And Okay, that last guy was me. I wrote about Jesus being a whole lot like Abby Hoffman, and yes, I know most of you are going to have to go look up Abby Hoffman on the internet. What I learned from that exercise was that when we are certain we are hearing and responding to and following Jesus, we may very well, in fact, not be hearing, responding to, or following Jesus at all. Just our perception of Jesus, our definition of Jesus, our projection of ourselves onto Jesus— Jesus knows that how people define him will determine how they hear and respond to him. And in today's story from the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was a common term in the Jewish faith tradition. In one hand, on one hand, it could mean pretty much anyone walking the earth in a general sense, the way we still talk about mankind. But then again, the way we talk about mankind would also be relevant because even then, son of man, culturally speaking, women and children didn't count. But then on the other hand, it could also mean a very specific prophet or biblical hero. And we know that a few of the disciples suggest as much. They answer, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, what are the other prophets? Mark and Luke in their Gospels have Jesus asking very specifically, who do the people say that I am? But Matthew comes at it with a different twist. Jesus asks, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And when some of the disciples hear that, they're hearing the phrase son of man the way they've always heard it, and they're probably not thinking specifically about Jesus. But then Matthew has Jesus ask after that to the disciples, who do you say that I am? I always imagine there being a long, awkward silence at this moment. We've all been there when a teacher in a classroom asks a question, but nobody wants to be the first one to answer because they may get it wrong, and then they're going to look stupid in front of all their peers, until finally Peter timidly raises his hand and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus reaffirms or affirmingly replies to Peter and settles Peter down, and Peter swells with pride and assurance. He took a chance, and he got it right. But we soon discover that while his answer was greeted with approval, Peter himself still had it all wrong. In the few verses that follow this text, where our passage today stops, Peter learns, as we do, that his perception of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is all wrong. You may recall that right after this passage, Peter actually rebukes Jesus for saying things that Peter's image of the Messiah could never say and would never say. Peter rebukes Jesus for not staying within his, Peter's, 
own neatly packaged, small, confining box, which is what our definitions and perceptions are. Small, confining, safe, and neatly packaged little boxes. Peter, we discover, is fine recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, but Peter's master image of the Messiah, like many of his day, seems to have been one as someone who is going to organize a small army and storm into Jerusalem, kicking butts and taking names. Don't we still see Jesus that way? How many sermons have you heard or images have you seen that present Jesus as a super-duper ripped macho man, knocking out bad guys like some supernatural combination of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, and Chuck Norris, manly man action hero? When asked by others who Jesus is, what is the picture that we give back to them that we present to the world? of who our Jesus looks like. Maybe we as Christians, like the disciples before us, need to be confronted by Jesus himself with who we think Jesus is. Now, as you've noted at the beginning, y'all know I have to reference some holy rock and roll at some point, and so here it is, and I don't want to disappoint anyone, so I'm going to close with a song by The Who, a great, loud song by The Who, which is redundant, And but I think it speaks to this text. Roger Daltrey, the singer, screams out, he really wants to know, who are you? So I invite you, as we close, to hear this verse and this chorus as a prayer for us, for our spiritual formation and awareness. I know there's a place you walked where love falls from the trees. My heart is like a broken cup. I only feel right on my knees. I really want to know. Oh, I really want to know. Come on, tell me, who are you? Thank you for that background, Bert. I'm going to miss that. On the one hand, it's such a simple question Jesus asks. But it confounded the disciples, and I think it confounds us too. Why is this so hard? I'm just imagining. We go to church together. We sing, we pray, we, we take communion together, we do all this together. But if I, as pastor of my church, said, okay, now we're going to stop right here, and I'm going to ask three volunteers to come up here and say, who is Jesus to you? Nobody. Nobody would. And it's not just a fear of public speaking, though that might be part of it. Surely we've been thinking about this, and I'm not chastising anybody as being unspiritual or immature, but many of us have been doing this Christianity, discipleship, church-going thing for a long time, but is it that we haven't considered it, or we struggle to articulate it, mm. or, and I'm not asking because I know the answer or in an accusatory manner, but I don't know why it's so hard. Do mm. you know what I mean? Oh, I get it, Daniel. And also, 
Thank you, Bert. Thank you. But yes, Daniel, I was asked, who is Jesus to me at my ordination council? It was hard to answer. Yep. And this was my ordination council. <laughs> I came up with something and I'm and I was pleased with my answer. But I also think I cheated a little. I talked about how Jesus showed up to me in the people around me. So I leaned on the incarnation and I'm not sure that's exactly what they asked. They were satisfied with the answer. But as I reflected, I don't know if I actually answered the question because I more said where I saw Jesus and experienced Jesus, not who Jesus is to me. And I wonder if it's that we have so individualized and personalized faith in the West that we have lacked some community that we need to be able to articulate that aspect of our faith. And again, not like you, not accusatory, just a curious question. Could that be part of what's happening? Longtime listeners will know I'm also fascinated and obsessed with the Harry Potter novels, more so than the movies, but the novels, even though, just as inside, the author has seemed to have lost sight of some of the meaning of her novels, but nevertheless. And I always was struck by, in each of the novels, and again, you do see a little of this in the movies, but in each of the novels, we're continually surprised by the amount of perception both corporate and individual. So early on, there's we are told, and everybody in the novels is told who the character Sirius Black is. And so everybody's afraid of him. Everybody's scared of him. He's a horrible man who killed all these people. And none of that is true. And we don't learn that until much later. And I hope this isn't a spoiler alert, but anyway. And then later on, much older, much later, we begin to get introduced to people who knew the great Albus Dumbledore, as a kid, as a young wizard himself, as a young professor at Hogwarts, before he becomes headmaster. And you get all of these different stories, oh, Albus, he's this or that or the other, when all these kids think, ooh, Albus Dumbledore, right? And then even his own brother has a perception that will twist everybody's idea of how good and wonderful Albus is. And I think that's just the humanness of it all. And I think that kind of reminds me of how we always approach Jesus, as we do other people as well. But we all come at Jesus, and we've been told this is the way Jesus is. And a lot of us have found that Jesus is is much bigger and greater and more liberating and free with the grace than what we've been told in our, some of our churches. But we come and we think, oh, I know this element of this, or I know that element of a person. And it's just how we know people. We know from what our group our society, our culture, or our group within a culture tells us about somebody in that other group. But we also know from our own experiences, and then when that person leaves, we just know that experience with them, and somebody else knows them in a completely different way. And I think the struggle with Jesus is to understand, A, like we talked about last week, that Jesus himself was growing in awareness of who he is and his mission and purpose on earth, doing God's purpose on earth and who it is for, as we talked about in last week's text. But yet we always struggle with that. And so the challenge is to never get stuck in, this is what, for Peter, 
this is what the Messiah is. This is who the Messiah is. Or for us, this is exactly who Jesus is. Because as much as I hate to admit it, I will admit it now, but as much as I would not want to admit it in 1990, Jesus is much bigger than Abby Hoffman. <laughs> not that Abby didn't have any qualities. I have a rabbi friend who says, hey, he was a good Jewish rabbi, a good Jewish activist, a good Jewish prophet, speaking of both Jesus and Abby Hoffman. So I'm okay with this, but mm -hmm. Jesus was bigger than 1960 social activism. We all have to go through this. Who are you, Jesus stage? One of the humbling parts of having family, having friends, those who we would say we love and we are loved by, is that it means a great deal because we know those people know who we are. <laughs> Which is why I remember when my kids were teenagers and just beginning to explore relationships that could go deeper. And my comment was always, be yourself, be yourself, be yourself. One, because who they are is pretty cool. And the other is, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean much if we're loved for who we're not. If we're loved and accepted for who we are, that means a lot. And I've been married now for, oh my gosh, since 1981. I don't do math, but it's 40-something years. And my amazement that there is another human being who is willing to both know me and still put up with me <laughs> is incredibly humbling. Yeah. So I don't know what point I'm making, except that I think there is a huge connection between love and identity, that ability to know someone and love them is both grace and grace returned in that typically those that we know we love <laughs> and, and that re reciprocal nature is a blessing to all of us. And I have to think it's not different with Jesus, that knowing Jesus only increases our love, but makes us grateful for the love in return because we are known. David, as you were talking, it, I went in a little different direction, because sent my brain <laughs> off in another direction, which I'm really grateful for. But I heard what all of you, all you said, and I'm completely in agreement with it. And I think that I like how you put love and identity together. I think also that if we do not know who we are, there's no way we can know who Jesus is to us. Mm. And for some of us in this world, the healing or growing that we need to do is to get to know ourselves better. And the more that we get to know ourselves, the more we will know who Jesus is. Mm. And the way we get to know ourselves is to love ourselves. Yellow reminding me, David, you started it, Nikki, a, a great book by Parker Palmer. I guess that's redundant, isn't it? But one of his great books <laughs> is called To Know As We Are Known. And it mm. gets to the heart of what both of y'all are saying. Yeah. And I think it's why, Daniel, if you invited people to come up in the front of the church and say who Jesus is, that it's hard, is because all of us know 
that our description of who Jesus is so closely tied <laughs> to our understanding of who we are. Mm-hmm. And are yeah. we really good enough for mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so good, David. And true. It's also a very intimate thing, mm-hmm. I think, to share who Jesus is to us. It's a beautiful thing, I think, for many, but it's also just very intimate and private. I do feel like I should warn anyone who wants to go and look up the who's who are you on YouTube or something. There, there is a bad word that's used a couple of times in there. Just, just don't be shocked. Don't be caught off guard. Not safe for work, people. Not safe for work. Or as I learned once, not safe for the pulpit. Yes. Oh, not the whole. I didn't say it, but Excerpts. I did use the song in a. Actually, <laughs> I did use a song in a pulpit once. One of the things about podcasting, I think that we can all attest to, and those of you who listen to us, thank you. We get to know each other through this because we share and we. We obviously talk before and after the recordings, but we talk pretty bluntly during the recordings. We are who we are. And I think that is both a blessing that we say we would do this even if no one listened. (laughs) And we hope you will do that in your groups to get to know each other and be yourself with each other. It is a gift you give to one another. Now, I want to close today by helping you out because you are going to need a Burt fix along the way in the coming weeks. You're going to say, wow, I haven't heard from Bert in a while. I need some Bert in my life. (laughs) And so the good news is Bert has some great books out there and they're fun. And they all have the word musing in their title. They're all musings because he loves to muse. (laughs) (laughs) You can't spell music without muse. That's true. (laughs) Part of must, must. So go to Amazon and search for Burt Montgomery. You're going to find titles like Psychic Pancakes and Communion Pizza. That sounds so amazing, right? See, you're going to see a book called Of Mice and Ministers. (laughs) (laughs) That includes a little section inspired by colonoscopy, which he talks about someone's semicolon, but we won't go into that. But (laughs) and then there's the rabbi, a rabbi, a preacher. Excuse me, I'm mutilating it. A rabbi and a preacher go to a pride parade. Mm. And then the first one you've forgotten, the one you were a part of. What did I forget? Elvis, Willie, Jesus, and me. Yes, thank you. Yes. (laughs) That's the one that got you fired. (laughs) He wasn't fired. fired. He was not fired. I need that story. (laughs) He was no longer around when my second one came out. (laughs) They're all good books, and you can get your fix of Bert along the way. And we will look forward, Bert, to the next time you're able to be with us. But blessings on you and this new journey that you're undertaking. We know it's going to be a blessing to you and all those you touch. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.